We are live. Hello, everyone. Uh, I apologize for the hiatus. Um, I think it's, I don't even know how long it's been since I've made a video. But um, you probably won't see the video for a bit because I don't have my video editing software. I'm just going to post it on Spotify for now. But um, that, that being said, uh, I, would, I would love to start this episode with a land acknowledgement because we are on the, the unceded territory of the, the Musqueam, the, the Tsleil-Waututh, and the Squamish First Nations. And uh, I think it's important to know where we are. Um, so I'd like to, to get us started easy today. We have my, my, my lovely friend, Matt, who's been um, a really big part in my climbing journey. I got I to gotta, I gotta say, when I was a, a, a young climber just starting out, he, he offered to help me, help to train me, gave me training plans, advice, watched me climb, uh, and, and really was instrumental in, in my journey. So I, I appreciate it immensely. Um, so yeah, how, how, how have you been? What have you been up to? Now, how are you doing today? Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm rad to be, or I'm stoked to be supporting this rad project of yours. Uh, I think it's cool that you're just like going out and interviewing interesting people and just having interesting conversations, especially within the Vancouver community. Um, I'm doing quite well. Life is good. Uh, <laughs> the pandemic has been strangely kind to me in my life development. I've uh, just added so many wonderful parts to my life because of the shift uh, that the pandemic has forced upon us all. Um, and one of the coolest ones is just like a change in my career path. I, when pre-pandemic, I was strictly a like rock climbing coach, personal trainer uh, and running coach. And Strangely, in a twist of fate, I am now a gymnastics coach for young children, teaching them physical literacies through the medium of uh, recreational gymnastics. And uh, it's a good time. It's a good time. I'm having a good time doing it. So all is well in the world of Matthew right now. Yeah, well, that's great to hear, Matt. Um, I'm, I'm curious, how has teaching younger people been rewarding? And, and what are, what are some, some, some difficulties with it? Yeah, it's uh it's very rewarding. Um and I feel like I I perceive and my perspective of it is constantly uh changing, but it's always in a good way. Uh I never really thought this would be the career path I ended up on. Um it's just funny how life and steps just like somehow guide you in this direction and it's it's very rewarding because I like giving kids the opportunities that either I didn't get, which is, is super important to me, is just making sure that as many people as possible get all the opportunities that I never got as a kid, um, but also giving them the opportunities that I did get, which were really meaningful to me. So sport for me personally was my avenue to grow and develop into the person I am now. Um, who I like and I think is uh, a good version of myself that I'm glad I've had the opportunity to work through all the growing pains to get here. Uh, and sport was my avenue to do that. So it's it's helped shape me and given me the opportunity to grow into the person I am now and I, I believe I've deserved to be. Um, and I like giving that to other kids. I like giving them the opportunity to have a low stake or zero stakes trial for life. Like that's what sport is, is like you get to fail and succeed over and over again in all of the ways. And in sport, there's no consequences uh, versus in real life where there are consequences. So it's a great way to like, 
you know, go through all those growing opportunities. Um, but man, especially working with younger children, is it challenging? Like I had previously worked as young as four years old with children in rock climbing. And I thought four years old were, were pretty challenging. I really didn't think like I, I was a real master at coaching kids nine to 12. Although I had lots of experience in the six to eight and some experience with four to five um, through my other coaching opportunities. But when I got to start coaching the baby to three-year-old kids, you just like, it's crazy. Like getting kids to learn to just associate with a grown-up who's not their parents for the first time ever, like to be that person in someone's life is, is wild. Um, and like, it's an emotional roller coaster. And, and at three years old, like kids are going through this huge transition where they're learning to be fully from where they were at two up to two, which is basically fully micromanaged in their life by their parents, um, to now transitioning into the stage of their life where they get to be independent at a slowly progressing pace. And my goodness, is it a bumpy ride at three years old? So it's, it's fun. It's fun to like make mistakes and watch kids make mistakes and just have the patience to just like hold their hand through it and realize that, yeah, I don't expect you to get it first try here, but like I'm here for the long haul. I'm not going anywhere. So if this takes us like three weeks or three years, like we'll, we'll get there. Huh? What, what are some things that you would do with kids in that age range? Uh, like it's, I've, I've recently, I'm, I'm currently on this theory that when a kid hits three years old, they're more or less physically capable of doing pretty much all of our gymnastics curriculum, which is wild uh, with how capable a three-year-old can physically be. Um, And so there is the aspect of it where I'm teaching kids like physical literacy skills, like uh, teaching them how to develop their hanging skills, teaching them how to engage their shoulders and core, teaching them how to do springing or rotation skills, like exploring the multitude of, of locomotion skills or stationary things in their life um, or in their physical literacy journey. Uh, so there is all those physical aspects, but then there's just the coolest part is just helping them develop their social, emotional and cognitive skills. Um, can you follow the structure of the class? Like, can you return to a spot? So follow a, a command to like engage in the learning process. It's less like, it's not at all about teaching children to be like subservient. Like I called you to the spot. So you have to come because I am big and you have to do what I say. It's more of if you're unable to return to from whatever you're doing into a place where you can like reset and restart your journey towards learning something new. Like that's just all the part of it is. So it's fun just helping kids learn like how do you come back to a spot how do you receive instruction how do you articulate your feelings um just yeah teaching them to just navigate literal life without their parent telling them and showing them what to do so it's it's that's a a very broad answer but that's that's more or less what we we get the opportunity to do with the kids and I, i guess like um it's, it's not as focused on the performance of gymnastics. I feel like specifying or like, or forcing kids into specificity that young is very counterproductive. Uh, it's, I don't say it's counterproductive. It's just, it's just a different opportunity. Um, it, 
like right now I'm, I'm facing a challenge where some, I like some of the parents of some of the kids, uh, aren't really on board with giving their kids as much independence and ability to take ownership of the learning process as I want them to do, which is basically what you're saying is like, uh, versus like a very structured and high expectation and performance based, uh, activity, which I think has a ton of value. Um, there's, I think there's so much to be gained from high level, high expectation, competitive divisions of sport. Um, but that's not what I do. And that's not what jump is doing the place I work for. Um, so it's, it's interesting seeing parents like pull their kids out of our programming because they're, they're, they're not on board with the fact that I'm letting their kids make choices about their learning. They want instead their children to be like told like what to do, how to do exactly how to do it, like where they stand, when they're allowed to breathe. Um, which if you want that, there's like tons of great programming that offers that opportunity. Um, but I want kids to make those choices themselves and I want to be a resource that they can use as a tool to go engage in that journey. I um, see. So I, I think both have value. I just particularly like the recreational side. No, I get that. And I, I think that there's a lot to be said for range, especially when learning um, uh, motor skill like acquisition, learning new skills. It's great to try more things. Um, so, so how do you feel about that? Do you think that it's a good setup um, for kids to go into other sports to start something young and change? Is there? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's one of the strange things that I think families don't re expect me to say, but I tell them all the time. I'm like, yeah, you should go do all the things. Like, I think that you should come to my programming because I think it's really valuable what I'm able to offer your kids in terms of their ability to go engage in any other program. But yeah, you should definitely, your kids should know how to swim. They should know how to ride a bike. They should go play soccer. They should go play field hockey. They should go swimming. They should go skiing. They should do literally all the things because it all bleeds together in ways that are cool and complicated, um, but also very simple at the same time. Like just do lots of things and you'll have lots of fun. And like you had mentioned before we started the podcast, like, yeah, it is, it is about fun. And, and I think making sure that we're not implementing our expectations on children is important, both as like leaders and coaches and parents and administrators. Cause I think that's a part of the process that very occasionally derails kids is the fact that we want them to do like so many parents want their kids to be climbing kids because they want to be a climbing family. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But also like your kid just wants to play games and like, and have fun and, and make friends in class and they're six years old. So like, let's let them do that. And if we give them the base level skills, they're more likely to make choices like getting into rock climbing if that's what they want. Um, and they'll probably be more likely to do it since you're as a family are giving them access to it. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely better to visit lots of different things. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Um, I I think that fun is so important because um, if you're not having fun, kids don't really want to continue doing it. It's a great way to lose people in sport participation. So 
I'm, I'm curious how you, you foster fun in gymnastics as well as climbing. Like what, what do you do? What do you think is important? What have you noticed makes things fun for kids? Yeah, I, this, this is, I like this question because I feel like there's lots of big answers that can be provided, but um, the unfortunate reality is we as coaches and administrators and, and leaders in, in the sport and recreation field is we often define fun as like, oh yeah, we're just going to go play a game. Like we're just going to go play tag or we're just going to go play hide and seek. Um, and yeah, those games can be fun, but I think one of the reasons we see like high dropout rates, like particularly in young girls in sport um, is just because I don't think we are meeting, we're, we're thinking what they must think is fun. We're like, yeah, you must find this fun. Cause I said so, but like, what, what do they want? Like kids, I think find fun in mastering new skills and challenging themselves and having the opportunity to be independent and grow and make choices. Um, those things I think are surprisingly fun for, for children. And I think that's what I personally focus on as uh, both a gymnastics and a rock climbing coach is, is giving kids the opportunity to develop skills and then challenge themselves with those skills and use those skills. And uh, sometimes the like perfect situation is, yeah, I teach you these skills through a game. Um, however, like I've coached many sessions in climbing that have gone really well because I taught kids how to do a dead point on the wall and that led to them getting up a climb that they hadn't been able to do before and maybe they get their first ever two hex from using that dead point and they're gonna feel good about that um yeah it's it's very rewarding i would say um for for the non-climbers out there do you think you could explain what a dead point is real quick yeah um a dead point is uh it's it's basically a skill that helps you reach a hold so the highest potential hold that you could reach on the wall with your feet still on the holds and it's it's like the idea of like a basic re or climbing move would be to hold onto the wall standing up and grabbing a new hold and then reaching your feet up standing up and grabbing a feet hold uh the next step to that would be to use dynamic motion to make it up to even a further hold that you couldn't reach using a regular standing up approach, um, whether the wall is overhanging or just the particular challenge of the climbing route itself. It's the idea of uh, standing up, but at the same time, uh, pulling your center of gravity, your core in towards the wall in a, the more dramatically you do it is what I tell the kids, the more time you will technically be weightless giving you the best opportunity to reach either that really far hold or that really small hold. Uh, the progression away from that would be then the next step to be would, would more or less progress to the end point, which is a dyno, which is like, okay, what happens if you can't first reach and grab it? You can't dead point. How do you get that hold that's too far away to even dead point? So you have to, your feet have to leave the hold. So it's a dead points in between just basically standing up and grabbing a new hold and a dyno. Okay, 
That's a, that's a great explanation. I have to explain this to children a lot. So I have to, these are the basic versions of things, which is why if you ask me very science-based questions, I may give you childlike answers. It's a great perspective. <laughs> it's a great perspective. Um, I want to move in a little bit more to like training. I'm, I'm curious how you uh, balance training for kids versus how you might balance training for someone who's looking to be more of a performance athlete. And... Um, and anything to be said for for periodization yeah um i think the i i like what i would do in this sort of situation is i uh children basically aren't you you don't want to develop them to build muscle like that's not the point of any sort of like weightlifting or training or gymnastics or rock climbing it's you're basically teaching them how to use the muscle and body that they have. So if you were to do squats or some version of a hinge deadlifty style thing with a child, it's not at all about lifting heavy objects. It's about teaching them the motor pattern for that movement. Um, in terms of the that would be how I would train children is, is, but before I even get there, my first step is always foundational skills. So in rock climbing, I want to make sure that kids have a full slate of, they basically know how to do all the skills of rock climbing. They know how to flag. Uh, they know how to dead point. They know how to pivot and drop knee and twist, uh, how to move their feet, how to move their hands. Like I want to give them all the basic skills and climbing is rad because it has those very unique skills in it. Uh, I think a great example that I'll offer to everyone is, is like a piano match or a piano switch of your hands on a hold. So the idea is a crimp is a hold that's so small you could only hold it with the tips of your fingers. So imagine you have four fingers on a crimp and you need to switch your hands. If you were to just straight up ask a kid, be like, oh, you have to climb this climb and there's a move like that, they're not going to succeed because you have not given them the foundational skill they need to complete that climb. Uh, kids are clever and uh, even adults can be very intuitive and people can naturally figure this stuff out, which is rad. Uh, but I want to just make sure that everyone knows what they're doing and why and how to do it so that they eventually have a toolbox being like, okay, I keep failing at this move. What can I try? How about a piano match? So if my fingers are on there, what instead I'm going to do is I'm going to slowly lift one finger up as I drop one finger uh, from my other hand on it. Basically, kind of like I was playing a piano key, switching one hand with the other. Uh, the idea is that now that child or adult who's a child at heart uh, has the skill to complete that climb. Therefore, once their full skill set is a foundational skills is completed, then I'll switch into developmental climbing uh, training, which is, I think, more of the stage that we've met, met on, uh, which is cool. You know all the moves. Now I want to teach you to do those moves at a higher and higher level. You can do a dead point at a one hex. Can you do it at a three hex, at a four hex, five hex, six hex? Nope. Cool. So there's always room to practice these basic skills, but we're going to use more challenging avenues to create situations for you to develop those skills, um, which is now at the stage for children. Like, again, I'm still working on developing 
their ability to do these moves, which they can do at a young level. Um, just visit the Hive on any youth team night, and you will notice that uh, being sub four feet tall is no excuse for not being able to climb that 6x because there are plenty of examples of children doing it, so your height has very little to do with your ability to get up that climb. It's ridiculous. And and so, but eventually when kids start reaching the end point of their youth journey around 18, that's when I would start recommending more actual strength training, um, like the like pull-ups for strength rather than pull-ups for form. Uh, because by then, hopefully you've mastered the form if, if you've been taught appropriately or we got to learn it before we start piling weight on your body um, which is coincidentally where we've met um, because the way we when I came to you to ask to be your coach what I saw was this kid who was stoked on climbing and really really wanted to be better but there wasn't an opportunity within any of the the structures programming for you to fit but you were stoked enough to learn and so I mostly didn't want you to get hurt. Like I was just like, okay, this kid's stoked, but like he's doing one armed weighted hangs like out of, out of nowhere, which is like you, the, you're using the resources you had, which is basically Google. Yeah. So like you're training as if you Googled how to train for climbing. And so Very literally <laughs> I, I approached you being like, Hey, like give me the opportunity to just like teach you the skills you need to not get hurt while doing this. Like, yeah, those one-armed weighted hangs is going to be part of that journey, but it's just not yet. Like, let's just like build up the skills and strengths. So like, yeah, some of the highest level climbing moves, you just need objectively stronger shoulders. So that's, we'll have to develop you to that point. And then, yeah, now we'll do the, those high level moves and those high level training things. And so that's when at the end of this journey, when we're encountering there is where periodization would start. Um, and yeah, you'd have to ask me a more specific question, but that's yeah, yeah, where yeah. I see it in the journey is foundational skills. Then you develop those skills to a, the highest level that they can go until you hit the point, usually around um, that. Uh, and you've just discovered that strength has very little to do overall with with some climbing abilities that yeah now now once you're in that adult range of 18 and older your body is ready to start developing in a way that you're building upon the strength you have not just using the strength you have like children would yeah i i guess what i'm curious about periodization is for um people who, who don't know much about training or understand how our bodies adapt to things i think that periodization is a really important thing to understand as most people just think that they should train all the time so structuring it in a way that you can train and rest and improve from it so i guess what i'm curious about could you could you explain how it works and, and how people usually go about it uh i can give you my best simplified answer please do um i'm i'm gonna be honest that i do not have the book smarts that many other professionals would have on this specific topic. So I'm not going to pretend to know all the answers that I don't. Um, so I'll give you the answer that I would give to children, basically, which is my expertise is talking to children is you in your periodization is just this basic idea that if 
it's a, a bit of a train smarter rather than train harder approach to, to climbing. Because yes, you can train hard every single day, like three to five times a week at the rock climbing gym. And yeah, you'll get stronger because you're just like hammering away in the direction you want to go. Um, but you could achieve more by just periodizing. So choosing a correct timing towards your training, um, meaning that if you divide, so you can divide the year in, in a variety of different ways. Um, I have a history of competitive running. So my, my year was often like the summer was the base training phase where you just build up that raw strength, uh, and foundation. You just build a big foundation of fitness. Uh, you transition into the fall to your cross country season, which was, uh, more of that, like long, um, long endurance but also just some like raw strength sort of uh building upon that foundational base uh then you hit indoor track season which now you're trying to narrow that spear down so you're trying to like slowly uh really increase the the strength side of things but bringing your endurance and strength slightly closer together while still developing those you're not worrying so much about your base mileage at this phase at the point where spring comes and it's outdoor track season, that's the peak of your year, which you're aiming to achieve your highest level of potential for that year. Uh, at which point you now are creating the tip of the spear. So you're, you're going to do, I guess in a climbing term, more like power endurance sort of stuff like that. Like that's where you're bringing, you're trying to use your strength, uh, but also your speed or endurance and like bring them together. So can you, can you bring all of your training together to the point where you're not doing the high volume, but you're just doing high intensity, very focused work in order to achieve a level of, of ability that you otherwise didn't have all year, but is higher than if you just trained at like this high level the whole year, your, your overall high is going to be lower if you just train hard all year. And then the trick is just, is really just rest because that's the problem that most people's style of non-periodized training brings them is, is they just don't rest. They just work hard the same way all year. And you should really, if you want to achieve that high level of performance and success, you should think of a foundational base season, uh, transitioning into, um, a strength phase, uh, transitioning that into more of like a a speed or a, a focused power phase and then bringing it all together at at the end which is is trying to actually perform so lowering all of your training down so bringing your overall load down so that you can peak and achieve a higher performance Oh yeah, that's that's really interesting. <laughs> that's that's such a bad description no, of, of periodization i'm sorry for anyone who actually knows the details um i'm just so used to describing it to children that it's hard for me to to describe it the big fancy way that i used to that's fair enough but i i think you gave a good answer and i like your analogy of the the spearhead where it kind of builds up wide and and builds to this point where you're doing less work but it's more focused and it, it's kind of the base supports you going up and it's what i used when i was training you is just this idea that i first had you doing just like volume uh to just get a lot of climbing in 
then I had you building up your strength. Um, after you've had this foundation, you could then engage in a more productive version of strength training. Uh, then we transitioned. So I, I gave you drills with your climbing and exercises that really narrowed and specified your strength. So we're, tra we're transitioning your off-the-wall strength into on-the-wall strength by doing these variations of, of hovers and freezes and pace drills on the wall. So the way you would hover before leaving a hold or versus hovering at leaving a hold. So I was just teaching you to transition the strength that you had gained off the wall and to make it climbing specific. And now that you have it, cool, let's cut all of that down and let's climb hard for a bit. Uh, and then let's rest and let's just restart the process. Do it again. Yeah, I think I think it's really um, important. I would love to touch in on climbing drills, but uh, I think rest is such an important part of it. I don't think people realize how much they should be resting. Um, so how would you go about uh, programming in a deload for, say, like a month? Uh, it would be so individual based. Um, there's you, you have to think of like rest in the moment so okay you're gonna be working out or climbing you like what level of rest and where in our periodization are we so like uh are we at the like strength or the in the big endurance base phase uh in which case like yeah like let's take lots of rests between these like big long intervals um are we in the strength phase which i'm gonna kind of narrow the the rest down a bit so it's if just say like your rest in the endurance phase was i was giving you five minutes before sets um then in the strength phase i'm going to give you like two minutes in between your rests uh and then we get into the like the more focused like power phase of of your your workout i'm, I'm gonna give you like between the actual reps like very small rest so like i really want you to just like nail these really hard moves, but then I'm going to give you a big rest so that you can like perform back at that level. Um, so that's the micro level. Then you look at the week. So where in your week are you resting? So there's lots of fun little things that you can play around with. Like the fact that you can do two workouts in a row because delayed onset muscle syndrome. So Dom's is going to is going to hit you 48 hours after a hard interval. So you can often be real sneaky with that and do like, like a, a hard workout and then maybe another like different kind of workout the immediate day after. And then you're going to feel that you're going to feel the effects of your first workout, um, on that third day or after the 48 hours, uh, and the window is, is blurred. So it's not exactly 48 hours. Um, so just, playing with your week and that is so much to do with honestly just the life schedule of people yeah um like some people like the seven day week but i found a lot of success training on a like a nine to ten day week where you you would do something like like hard workout medium workout rest day hard workout medium workout rest day or you need so you do that in blocks of three rather than following the standard of a seven day week okay um, and that way you can just fit in different things. So like that's the week scale of things. And then, yeah, if you're, if you're looking at the month, um, it depends on the individual, but I guess the most classic way is to go three weeks up one week down. 
um, in which case you would just build like a staircase. So you're just going like you do X amount, uh, X plus one the week after, X plus two the week after, and then you do a rest week, which you're still going to be performing, but maybe your rest week is equivalent to your first week of workouts or your second week. It's, um, in which case then the next week you, you build up. And so it's a mini staircase that goes up three down one, but then you're down each time doesn't go down out as far. So then you restart and you're just slowly progressing in an overall trend upwards. Yeah. You're taking three steps forward and one step back instead of just kind of running forward, stopping for a while when you get hurt and then running forward. Yeah. Again. And then so that the next part of that would be to then talk about your periodization rest. So just making sure that you're taking adequate rest, like between the different periods of, of your, your session. So if you're doing like a big endurance summer phase, like you might be able to transition right into, uh, your strength phase of, of the fall season. Um, but you, you might, or you just take a rest. So like, maybe that's just like an extra down week and all that. And and when you're looking at a big picture like that, it's suddenly taking an extra week off here and there doesn't actually matter in the big picture. So long as your overall training is going well. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, I guess one more thing I wanted to touch on, on rest, you had mentioned this as we started. Um, but when you, you, something about how climbers, when they get injured, actually will refine the 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 process in their brain a little bit. Because um, for me, I got injured recently. I've been I've been out of commission for um, a, m- a little over a month now, and um, it's lovely to hear that there's still something going on in my mind. So, could you explain that and maybe where people could find it? Uh, yeah, definitely look this up in the book um, "Performance Rock Climbing." It's it's like a very '80s looking book. I think it's from either the '80s or '90s, um, and I'll send you the link so you can like post it. I guess in the description yeah, yeah, of that. this one, uh, so people can find it. Uh, the book gives a better example than I would, but the simplified child version is that. Whenever you do a move in climbing or in any skill-based sport, your mind logs the motor pattern. So just say you are working on, I'll use the example from earlier, you're working on a a climb that has kind of a, a drop knee into like a crimp to the side. You have to like piano mat. So you, you do the drop knee and you grab it, except for like, let's imagine that this is like, either bouldering or sport climbing where you're either several feet or several dozen feet above the ground. So you are scared. And so like you do the drop knee, but while you're doing the drop knee, your knee is doing the Elvis thing because you're just absolutely terrified. So your leg is jittering from side to side. You grab the crimp, but because you're terrified of falling above the bolts or at this distance above your mats, you're over gripping the crimp and you go through the move, uh, you're practicing it. It's part of your project. Imagine that process happens, you know, maybe you you project it 12 times, a dozen times, and then you get hurt and now you're out for several months. Uh, Apparently our minds take time within these down periods to streamline these motor pattern pathways in our mind. So they, it'll, our minds will, Uh, realize that stuff like the shaking Elvis knee while we're doing that drop knee and the overgripping on the crimp 
are not productive and meaningful parts of that motor pattern. So they'll chop them out and they'll just streamline those motor patterns in your mind to just be, yeah, we're going to drop knee. We're going to grab the crimp. We're going to move out of it and go on with the rest of the climb. Um, that way it, it shows that there's a lot of meaningful gain to taking time off. And whether that's the universe telling you, you have to take time off because you got hurt or you make the active proactive choice to take that rest on your terms, uh, in which case your mind will engage in that process. So it's, it just shows that climbing endlessly forever is not as productive as being smarter about it and climbing in, uh, whether it's a periodized or just even taking rest, like just take some time away from climbing, go do other things. Uh, you'll be better for it overall, both physically, but also in a neat way mentally. Yeah. Cool. Um, I, I have a few more training questions. I'm, I'm, I'm curious the difference between mobility and flexibility. Uh, I feel like a lot of people use the terms interchangeably, but I know they are a little bit different. And do you have any advice for getting better at both? Uh, <laughs> yeah, when we were training, I was a master of this specific subject. I remember giving you a full lecture on why this, the differences and how to go about it. I have to admit I'm not as sharp on this topic anymore um, because it, it isn't as relevant to me right now working with children since they're made of rubber. So I have had less experience uh, practicing it. Like in general, your flexibility is just your, your just like how far can you like objectively stretch? Like how far can you reach? How far can you bring up something? Like just the actual full length that you can take your muscle fibers and ligaments. Uh, and your mobility is just in a real basic way, just your ability to like actively move yourself through those positions. So they'll be different in that if you are like, you know, fully reaching down or trying to reach your leg up to like uh, a high step, like, yeah, if you like pulled your leg up, uh, you might be able to, to get your like physically up there. Like I encounter that a lot right now because my hips are quite tight. Like I could pull my leg up to that high step, uh, but I don't quite have the mobility to just like get myself up there using my own like more usable levels of flexibility uh, and, and strength to like get my leg up there. Uh, the most, the, the simplest answer to how to improve upon these things is honestly just consistency. Um taking the time pre-session to do your dynamic stretching, taking time post-session to do some either static stretching or PNF or, uh, you know, whatever you so choose as your avenue towards improving your flexibility and mobility, like taking the time to consistently do it uh, as the weeks go on um, or, yeah, within your, your schedule. Like that's the consistency is going to have more to do with it than any one particular strategy or miracle stretch. Um, the other side of it is people, I think, focus too much on like just being able to like do the splits or reach their toes or like get their arm into like a particular mobile session. Uh, there's a strength aspect to it as well. So 
your your body's restricting you because you just it doesn't feel confident that you have the strength to like hold yourself in that awkward position of mobility um, because you don't have the strength for it. So making sure that you're fitting uh, a level of strength in with your mobility and flexibility training is is going to give you the actual usable version of it all. All right. Um, I know you mentioned PNF, and I think a lot of people might not know what that means. Could you quickly explain it? <laughs> no. Um, it's... <laughs> I don't have a good definition for it. It's, uh, it's, it's that I, th- I think it's basically the idea of using like, so you do these stretches where you, uh, just say you're reaching down for your toes, you engage your muscles to like push, uh, yourself down further into that stretch for say like 10 seconds. And then, when you relax, there's a there's a sneaky moment where your muscles uh, haven't fully figured out like or you can take advantage of the fact that you can dip deeper into a stretch while there's that brief moment before they regain their their bearings. Um, there are sciencey words that could explain this a lot better, but it's the idea of like push down deep into your stretch for ten seconds, then just relax. But as you relax, like go a little deeper into your stretch and it's not as far as the full push, but maybe you just get that extra millimeter or inch in. And then you repeat that process several times as like a way of getting yourself deeper and further into stretches. For sure. Um, I covered this in one of my uh, college courses not too long ago. So I know the name for PNF. It's proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. <laughs> nice. So it's a mouthful. I appreciate you giving that after I, embarrassed myself by attempting to give a bad definition no no it's <laughs> um, I, I i remember you telling me that and having no idea what it meant so i know i know you had it but yeah that's it's a it's a skill set i have not practiced um because the individuals i currently work with are children and <laughs> they don't they don't need the we full don't acronym. yeah we don't really need to work on flexibility and mobility anymore so it's it's a dusty part of my brain right now fair enough fair enough but uh, no, it's, it's fresh in my mind. But uh, what was I wondering? Right. Um, I, I wanted to talk s- some about running. But before, um, I'm curious, as uh, you said, uh, everyone is a child at heart. H- have you found to be reconnected with your child at heart? Oh, yeah. Kids? It's it's given me permission to to be a child is is having a role like this is it's fun. Um, it It's just it suits me so much better. Like, I'm just not into the idea of being miserable and being an adult that like I can still like be an adult and behave in an adult like manner with all the ways that actually matter um, such as like taking care of your finances to just making sure you're on point with like your food and sleep and work schedule and whatnot but you know I just I just it's nice to not take things so seriously and realize the perspective of it all. When you work with kids, they sometimes come in and they've like brought you a leaf they found outside because they were like, look how cool this leaf is. And you're like, you know, it is, that's a cool looking leaf. So I'm, I'm stoked that like kids get to constantly remind me of the things that actually matter in life. Um, just the joy of the world around us and, and just being present in it rather than constantly being bogged down with the future and past and 
all the things that like plague our minds as we grow into adults. <laughs> That's very fair. I like that answer. Um, do, do you have any moments in particular that stand out as being like very heartwarming or special to you over the years? Oh yeah, there's, I feel like there's too many. There, there's just so many kids and just like getting to watch them realize who they deserve to be and gaining confidence in it is just, it's so fun. I feel like I, I have it on a, on a daily basis. Like there's, I'm, I'm stoked that like, like whenever I see you in the gym, for example, I'm just stoked that you're there having fun. Like sometimes I see you there hanging out with friends. Sometimes I see you there like projecting and working hard, or sometimes I see you strength training and it, and even though I'm not directly coaching you anymore, it makes me happy that you're still finding joy. And, you know, maybe you find success in climbing. That would be rad. And I would be so stoked and supportive of that. But like, I just want you to have a good time, like just being in that. So to me, seeing you in the gym is like definitely one of those like heartwarming moments for me. Uh, like I, I, there's these, I, a lot of kids that I've coached are now on the swarm team and, and the Hornets team. So it's, it's just, it's so cool seeing the legacy that I've accidentally left at the rock climbing gym being like, Oh, like I taught all of you, your foundational skills, and now you're developing those skills and these developmental programs. And you're, it looks like you're having fun and being friends. And I knew all these kids from like various different stages of programming. So it's cool seeing the ones that loved climbing the most all get together and, and be friends that, that makes me happy. Um, and yeah, I feel like there's, there's probably many more cool stories that like I'm going to hear of just like meeting up with kids. Uh, there's a really cool moment that I think stood out to me more recently over the pandemic. Um, pre pandemic, I had realized through coaching the nine to 12 year olds a lot that there were a lot of young girls who basically disappeared from our programming uh, within that range. And it was for a variety of reasons. Um, most of them being that they were either too emotionally mature for the, for the class that they were in. Um, cause like the nine to 12 class can have like a variety of, of personality levels and maturity levels. Um, many of those still needing a lot of room for growth. Um, but meanwhile, some of these girls were just like, they were more adult than I will ever be. Uh, or they're just physically, they've mastered all the skills that I could possibly teach them, but they couldn't go anywhere else. And so a few colleagues, uh, and I got together and we like created this uh, girls in bouldering program, which is now called Queen Bees, uh, which is super exciting because it was like meant to be an, a place for all these girls who are disappearing from our program to go and to be given developmentally appropriate challenges and, and chances to thrive and enjoy the sport that that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten. And I recently noticed so now that I've been removed from all of this for so long uh some girls that I used to coach in in teens are now the coaches of the queen bees program and like even knowing so the some of those people who were coaching before like they weren't overly confident people 
but seeing them like stand up confidently in front of all these like kids who like would have left our program had this queen bees not existed having like someone i know coach all these kids that like i was really afraid were going to disappear and just seeing everyone having a really good time of it i was just like this is great that's this amazing is, like is so so wonderful that's to amazing, like man. at least see just it just felt like everyone in that situation was thriving the like the kids and the 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 grown-ups leading them in that so that's cool awesome stuff. that's so cool i had no idea yeah, it's good I think stuff. that's really really cool. Um, uh, I'm I'm curious about running, um, because I I myself am a bit of a of a of a weekend warrior runner. I do enjoy it. Um, so I'm I'm curious, how have you found training for climbing versus training for running to compare? Uh, I find them very different, and I like that because I was kind of sick of training for running. Um, by the end of my running career, uh. It's, it's obviously like, I think one of the most interesting things is it's so similar in, in so many ways. Like, it's just like you're saying with the periodization, like it's, it's very simple. Like if you just train your body in a systematic way, you get better at whatever you do, whether it's rock climbing or running, like it's, and like the, the pros in rock climbing, like the ones who are truly performing at the highest level, it's so fascinating to see that like at the end of the day like no one is doing anything magical or special like like the top climbers at the at that in vancouver from sean mccall to the like kids crushing in swarm uh like they all they all basically do their warm-up uh which is like a mix of mobilizing and stabilizing their body and they all do their cool down so like a mix of just like taking advantage of stretching, like uh, proactively preparing their body for the next session by like bringing it down and keeping it healthy, like doing all the little things, whether it's whether you need mobility at the end of your climbing to make sure that you aren't losing that or you need strength to fix deficiencies so that you don't get hurt. Um, that's exactly what runners do. Like runners do the exact same thing at the highest level. So it's just... It's so simple and everyone's always looking for a magical secret and it is it is just really boring things done very consistently. That's a great answer. <laughs> um so this is this is a very vague question and you can answer it however you choose, but I'm curious how does one get better at running? Uh yeah, just doing something very boring for a very long time but not getting hurt with it is just the most important part. Like if you can train consistently uh like if if just say i wanted to get back into running like i couldn't jump back into the performance i was doing before but like i if i just consistently ran like did my workouts my long run got my easy runs and kept my easy runs easy and I just kept that flow trying to train as smart as I can rather than as hard as I can for a very, very long period of time. Like it's, it's the easiest formula to success. And uh, the more committed you are to all the little details, like the little details don't matter till you get to a very high level, like at the very basic way, like you can, it's, it's not difficult to get better at running so long as you don't get hurt. So it's, 
like going out and doing your run, but making sure that like pre-run, you just do a little warm up to get your the structures you're going to be used in that run uh, ready to go. And then post-run, making sure that you do whatever your body personally needs for success. So it's like great to watch internet videos seeing like, this is what professional runner does before their and after their runs. Like, yeah, that's a great example, but those are all specific to them. So you just got to figure out what's specific to you. If you're the type of person who is going to have uh, like Achilles problems, like, cool, you need to spend like a minute or two of your time post run, like making sure you're taking care of your Achilles, like, and, and whatever that is for, for you. Okay. Um, do you have any tips on avoiding injury for running? Uh, yeah, it's, it, to a certain extent, it's trial and error. Like you may not realize, like, like I realized that my particular form with running, uh, was great until I started running like 80 to a hundred miles a week, at which point, like little things like the fact that like my left foot is slightly bigger than my right foot or my like one leg has like a millimeter extra of length than the other like at that massive distance and level like those little things matter but like you need to uh mobilize the mobilize your body so just make sure like if it's as simple as just making sure all the joints in your body are like loose and nothing is is stiff great but then there's the second part which is stabilizing those structures so preparing them for like load um which is like sneaking in just whether it's a it's a plank or doing some squats like that's a big one because we all spend so much of our lives sitting that all our glutes turn off um they're like lengthened while we uh, sit down all the time and they're not activated so so many adults probably i would I would guess most of us like aren't good at activating our glutes. So like the idea of just doing like 10 little squats before you run will just make you not get hurt with your running. So the standard things like just imagine, look at your lifestyle. You're probably sitting and looking at a phone or a keyboard for a significant portion of your day. Cool. You need to like open up yourself, like get your body into the range of motion it needs to be in to run and then just give a quick like strength and activation of it. It doesn't need to be like a full on workout, but you just need to be like, yep, yeah, let's just turn on all the switches of all our muscles after all our joints have been mobilized and cool. Now we're more likely to succeed. And from there you need to figure out what works for you. So if for me, for example, my thoracic spine is really tight. So I need to constantly like be mobilizing that. Otherwise I get hurt. Um, and like my glutes are actually okay now. They didn't used to be, but I used to like be really important that I did my squats. Um, or even realizing that like right now I'm coming off of doing no training and recently my partner is training for a half marathon. So I'm trying to support them by getting into running and I have to just be careful because if I jump too much, I'm going to get some sort of tendonitis in my knee or shin splints. So I just need to make sure that like those are rolled out and, and okay it, it loosened strengthened so they don't explode on me as an old man fair enough half marathon seems like fun I, I really would love to run 
long distances, particularly in the trails. Are you a fan of trail running? Yeah, it's so much better than track running. It's so much better. It's the community is just so much nicer. Like yeah. track running is so ruthless, like on, like it's just, we're all enemies, like on the track, but like outside of the track, most people are quite friendly and it's a very loving community um, that can be a little too self-indulged and intense at times, but like fair enough. Um, that's the nature of it all. But like trail running is just so relaxed. Like everyone both before, after, and during the race is just endlessly supportive of one another. It's just, it's good stuff. <laughs> it's such a better vibe than, than the track and road running scene. Yeah. I, I pretty much only run to try and get better so I can run in the trails for longer. Yeah. That's a good, good life choice. I approve. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, do, do you have any opinions on barefoot or minimal shoes and have you tried them? Uh, I do remember when I was in college, that was when like the barefoot running book or like one of the most popular ones originally came out. So it was like a huge craze and uh, I'd certainly given it some thought like, yeah, fair enough. Like it, it makes sense. Like you're correct that like human beings were designed to to not wear shoes um that is not incorrect but like i don't think shoes are the devil they're great like i wear i wear quite cushioned shoes and i'm very okay with it um i've i think that people just don't realize the strength over they have like to transition to barefoot running should be like a multi-year affair for someone like if you're thinking of like oh i'm gonna switch to barefoot running tomorrow uh, that is a bad choice and you are going to regret it <laughs> unless you're like one of the 0.01% of people who might be strong enough to not get hurt with that just through your natural genetics. But like, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. If you want to transition to it. Um, it's not for me. I I'm happy with shoes. I've had no issues with shoes. Um, shoes have not caused me any injuries now that I have found shoes that fit me. But if you just find shoes that fit you, it's uh that's that's good enough but if you want to do barefoot running like you're not wrong it's good stuff but just make sure that your plan to transition to that is a multi-year plan and not a weekly plan no i get that i've 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 done a mix of barefoot running and running in, in cushioned running shoes and the first time i ran i could do like two kilometers and was sore for like five days yeah, you just gotta build the strength. Take like it slow. just yeah, just like real slow, like cool, like just like start with like, all right, I'm gonna do like a one minute jog around a field today. And then next time you slowly do like a minute fifteen seconds and like this is what I'm talking about. It just like takes a long time. Lots of sand like doing activities, there's you can Google sand drills for runners and like it's just basically like like in a pit of sand or on a beach or something, there's just like different ways to like walk and curl and, and rotate your feet that build strength in all the muscles and ligaments associated with that. That'll just help you along your journey. But remember that adaptation doesn't happen like overnight. Like it takes a very long time to adapt. So yeah, barefoot running's rad, but just, just takes time. So transition slowly. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I I think I went into it for hopes of fixing my feet that have been ruined from climbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, climbers definitely need to take care of their feet. I've heard many stories like that. It's good to do multiple things though and and also like 
Yeah. You like even just like rolling out your feet after a climbing session with like a tennis ball does wonders, but yeah, you're you're correct that doing other things other than climbing is good for your feet. Definitely. Well, it's it's good to have to have range. Uh, I feel like yeah, if you if you just climb all the time, you're going to end up with little toucan feet. Yeah, I've I've seen <laughs> I've seen it happen and it's it's uh certainly a warning sign just being like oh should not jam my feet in these small ballerina climbing shoes for too long yeah they're dreadful um i'm I'm curious how your training has changed over the years i'd imagine when you were running at a competitive level um it was a big big part of your life and now you're more uh doing sport for enjoyment and and uh working working with younger people so how, how has it changed for you how have you found that to like affect you uh, yeah, it's like training competitively and, and following all the science is like, it'll get you, it'll get you to your goals. It'll like, it works. It's like, obviously the best thing to do. Um, one of the most, like, uh, it's not talked about as often is just like my training is now more realistic. It just is like more what a normal person should train like to a certain extent i'm not perfect at it it is still a a process that i'm working through but like i i'm intentionally not trying to be competitive about anything i'm not training for any races i'm not training for any big sends i am training specifically like you said to spend as much time outside as i possibly can so i want to be in the forest and mountains as often for as long as i can and my training is entirely based around those things it's based around my social activity um so i i currently am doing i i do two runs a week i do at least two bike rides a week and i do two rock climbs a week and then my seventh day is basically like an adventure day that i with my partner we we will just do whatever our hearts desire so if it's skiing cool if it's another climb great like yesterday we did another run. So I got in three runs on the week. Um, and the problem with that is that I'm not taking care of myself. So I, what I need to be doing is I need to be doing at least one strength training, uh, just basic foundational strength moves uh, at least once a week. I think that's what my body needs so I don't get hurt. Um and I just need to be, I'm very consistent with my warm ups, but I'm not consistent with my cool down activity, post activity. Sometimes I just like, I'm exhausted and I'll come and I'll just lie on the, sit on a chair or on a couch and not debrief my body from the activity. So uh, my training now is just more fitting it into what is realistic for me to do um, and understanding that. Yeah, like if you're, I just don't have it in me to climb more than twice a week because it takes away from other things that I want to do with my life and that's okay. So it's it's fitting in to a more like standard life schedule that people have, which is like, yeah, like stress is stress and sometimes I go to work and I have a stressful day and i just don't have it in me because my body is already spent from from work um so even if i can get in like a a one kilometer run that's amazing at least i did something today uh versus what i used to be which is all my life decisions were based solely around peak performance and what could i do to get the best out of myself in in any moment so it's 
my training is much more casual about what's the minimum I have to do to, to get what I want out of it, which is just time spent outside. That's a great goal to have. Honestly. Um, I feel like chasing performance and numbers is, is a, a bit of a one track mind. Sometimes it's very consuming. Yeah. It's uh it's not bad though. I think everyone should spend some chapter of their life pursuing a singular goal with all their heart. I think, I think there's so much personal growth to be gained from that experience. Uh, but yeah, just know when you've gone too far and when to put yourself in check. Uh, that's That was a very hard transition for me is just realizing when I kind of reached the end of my running career in like 2016, I to pursue running any further, like I think I could have ran faster than I did, but to do it would require so much sacrifice of all other experiences in life. Um and I just had reached the point where I'm like, I just don't think there's that much personal growth for me in this activity anymore versus if I get into mountain sports or, and I find a career that I really like, there's just there's so much room for me to still grow as a human being uh, versus in running. There's just not much more room for me to grow in that activity anymore. So yeah, just switching it up for myself. That's, that's, that's a very fair thing to do. I'm curious, what, what were your best times? Uh, my best time was 341 uh, for the 1500 meters, uh, which is like a, a 359 mile. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, I think that was great. Like I had this conversation with my partner yesterday on the run. Like, so I ran 341 and that was rad. However, like, and this is like a very interesting and testy subject because I think everyone personally believes this about themselves, but they're very like resistant and against it for other people is like whenever someone's like, oh, I could have done this. I think knowing what I know now about myself and the whole process, I think the world standard at the time for me was 337. I think I could have ran that. Like I, I think objectively... I had the ability to run 337 in order for me to do that. I think there's like, I would just have to eke out 1% all over the place. Like I would need to get 1% out of like better nutrition and uh, sleep. I could get 1% out of uh, definitely out of seeking a sports psychologist or a counselor or, or some sort of psychological therapy, like getting my head in the game in a more healthy way than I had it. Uh, that would have been the biggest like gain for me. Um, I think adjusting my form, cause I often like my arms will cross in front of me when I was running at a high level, really fast and tired, uh, which is just throwing energy in the opposite directions that I want to be moving, which is forward. So I think like improving my form could have gotten me 1%, uh, so I think I could have ran that world standard of 337, uh, but things just never worked out for for me in that way. And and I think in hindsight, there's like, yeah, I could have done this and that, but also the goal for me never was so much running a fast time so much as using the activity of running to like grow as a person and just sort all those things out about myself personally. 
would you say you've succeeded at that goal? Yeah. 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 Which is why I felt, I eventually felt comfortable leaving. It was a rough transition, but yeah, I like who I am now. I think when I went into running, I wasn't super happy with who I was personally. There was lots of aspects to me that I didn't like about myself. Uh, But running for me was my avenue for challenging those parts of myself and slowly shaping myself into who I am now, which I think uh, is the person I deserve to be. Well, I'm I'm very proud of you. I think that's a, an amazing <laughs> thing to be able to say. Not a lot of people can say that. Yeah, um, which is why I think like pursuing something full heartedly has so much value because it's just such a great way to pursue that. Truly, your own personal growth. Um, what what does it feel like to run that fast? Like, what does it do to your body? Uh, it just <laughs> like for me, it felt like just like my blood was on fire, like just. Because lactic acid just consumes you very early on in a race at that level. And so the best runners are just really good at managing, one, prolonging that for as long as they can. Then two, like existing and dealing with that without caving in uh, for as long as they can. And then somehow, despite all of like you, you're running at your limit to get that far, somehow... And this is the whole exciting part that I loved about it is like digging deep and finding that new aspect of yourself and br- or bringing it out of yourself. The, the one that goes beyond what your limit is. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's the fun part. So it's it's a very emotionally intense experience. I, I believe it. And um, I think a lot of people might not realize just how fast that is. It, um before it was 1965 that Bannister did the four minute mile, sub four minute mile. Oh, I forget the dates. It was it a long time was ago. It was a long time ago. But uh, <laughs> there was a period in time where people thought running a mile under four minutes would be physiologically impossible. Yeah, they thought like your heart would stop if you <laughs> if you did it. We weren't we weren't very smart back then. But uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of incredible. So yeah, it's 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 a hell of a feat to do. I would imagine. Yeah, it definitely feels like your blood would be on fire. Um, it's 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 a pretty wild thing to think that people can even do that yeah and now it's so like it's crazy the amount of kids that can run under four minutes like it just it feels i hope it's not a novelty anymore because you're right it is like quite an accomplishment for those that that are able to you know build themselves up to become someone capable of doing that and but yeah it's crazy the amount of people who can run sub four now like i i don't follow running results except for my friends but every so often i'll like while i'm looking at my friends results i'll see what the other results are and i'll just see like tons of people under four minutes i'm like holy moly like props to to everyone and just how far the sport has come to to result in so many people being able to accomplish such a big big thing which just makes me happy that like the world of running is hopefully a better place than than when I was there because when I was there like you know there's there's still lots of like coaches and and training systems that don't actually work so it's cool seeing more people get on board with stuff that does work yeah I think it's awesome and it's cool how sports progress like people always get better there's always a new cutting edge um the recent thing that really impressed me was uh, I don't know if you saw the sub two hour marathon with Elliot Kipchoge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was insane. Yeah, I, th- I think he did four twenty one a mile for two hours. Yeah, it's a uh, it's cool hearing your perspective on it. Like it's it's so fascinating. Um, like from like a 
the running world is is often so quick to tear things down so there's like you know you could there's there's always the question of like well did the shoes like how much did the shoes perform for him like he also had so many pacers and he had the car in the race he had the car you're like it's 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 very fascinating to like hear that like i think it's rad that he he was able to do that and i'm like excited for you know one day maybe in our lifetime we'll see like tons of people going sub to like just in casual races like around the world um yeah, yeah. just because when we're old men like, the the limit has been broken yeah and now a bunch yeah of people will so be it's doing it. it's always like exciting when when someone makes it and i i hope that he's i don't know kip Chogi, but i hope he's a, a good human being because he would be an excellent like to accomplish something like that puts you in position to be a great role model for for other people so that's that's also the catch 22 in running is is i've met a lot of world-class runners and some of them are just like the best human beings you'd ever see and you just you think everyone should just use them as great role models and then other times some of the best runners in the world are just not nice people and it's kind of like was it worth it like is it worth it to be the best if you're like like not a nice person by the end of it the journey yeah, it's it's a it's a tough question. It, it I guess it just depends on your own values. Um uh I'm 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 always curious on people's activities and how it affects their mental health. Uh because at least personally, I find a huge difference in myself when I can be active and when I can't. So I'm I'm curious how 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 your ability to be active affects you mentally and if there's a difference between it for climbing and running or doing other activities. Yeah, uh like I've had the the whole gambit from for all around the circle of that. Like there was a there's a part of me when I ran when so much of my personal self-worth was tied to the fact that like what time I ran in that race. Like did I run a good time? Cool. I feel like I'm the best version of me. I'm so proud. I'm awesome. I have worth as a human. And then you run a bad race and you just are like, like I'm worthless. Like why, why am I even bothering to do any of this if I'm such a failure? So there's like so much of that. And I've also gone through a phase of that with my rock climbing where, you know, you tie so much of your self-worth to like your ability to climb. Like I used to be able to climb five hexes and that was rad. I can't climb five hexes right now. Like maybe I could get back to it, but, um, I've, I feel like I'm getting into a healthier spot where I'm just like, the fact that I'm able to climb is like quite enjoyable to me. And yes, I want to be able to climb more, but it's, it's less for the grade and more for the, the fact that like, if I climb five hex, then that's like 90% of the rock climbing gym that I get to play on. Um, so I, that's more of my mindset now. Uh, but it's, it's very important for my mental health. Like over this course of this pandemic, uh, I got into cycling for, uh, one of the first times and, and my bike has taken me all over British Columbia and it's, I think it just recently passed its 10,000 kilometer birthday, uh, which is rad. It's just so many kilometers of just like time spent outside, sometimes with friends, sometimes by myself, sometimes in the forest, sometimes in the city, but it's being able to be active is so important to my mental health, which is also bleeds into my work and why I, I think it's so important to give kids a good basis of physical literacy so that, you know, as they grow up, like maybe you never tried baseball, but like 
and even though I'm not a huge baseball fan, like playing like beer league baseball as an adult with friends is such a great way to like make friends and spend time outside and, and be active. And, and it's kind of fun if you're with people who aren't too competitive about it. Uh, so it's, it's, it's weird that like, even though, yeah, your kid may not get into like a ball sport now, I still want to give them the skills because what happens when they're like a, an adult in the same place that I am, like they're going to want to make friends and spend time, you know, like being active and, and being their best self with good mental health. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's crucial truly. And uh, having a good base makes, makes all the difference really. Yeah. Well, I mean it, it does and it doesn't, I guess if you want to perform highly, it does, but anyone can be active. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and they, they deserve to be like, you should have the opportunity. Everyone should have the opportunity to do, to find success and fun in whatever it is you want to do. Like that's, like part of the physical literacy journey is like if a kid doesn't know how to like hang or like hold or grip or grab onto anything, they're very unlikely to ever go explore any activity that involves that motor pattern. So like they, they won't try rock climbing. They, they won't like do any activity that involves like the type of motor pattern because they don't have a foundation. They don't have the basic skills and therefore they're unlikely to be successful in it. And if they're unlikely to be successful, then they're, they ain't going to have fun. Yeah. I, I love how you use the word play. Um, because I, I think it's, it's very true. It's, it's so easy to get bogged down in the competitiveness of it. And that kind of loses the aspect of play. But, um, ultimately I think there's so much to be said for play, so much value in it to be able to explore, to kind of like let loose in a way. Um, do you, do you find climbing to be very playful and, and what other ways do you play? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's part of why I love climbing. It's so, it just feels very artistic at times. Like it's just the movement of climbing is so cool. Like the way that you're able to like twist and turn and adjust and shift your body in order to like solve these puzzles and express yourself, um, like sometimes you're just feeling real confident, like your movement can express that when you're rock climbing, like the skills you choose, the the beta you choose to climb up the route with. Um, that's like one of the best parts of climbing is just like this like expression. And especially when you climb outside, it's such like a, a cool unison of like your own personal expression, like in unison with with the world around you and nature. Um, and it's it, it's great. It's good stuff. Truly. Do you, do you have any other ways of playing? Uh, I mean, like my biking is kind of fun just cause I get to like go and explore and like travel long distances. Uh, running is a way for me to like, you know, be real introspective. Um, but I also like being able to, now that I, cause I didn't have this as a child, but now that I am physically literate as an adult, it's fun trying different things. So like I've recently bought ski touring gear, so I'm going to try ski touring and that's going to be kind of like a fun new way to like explore the world. Um, like we, I went bowling with friends the other day. That's kind of fun just to like have some success with bowling and just like being able to knock some of the pins down. Uh, the fact that I could go play badminton if I wanted to, or there's a chip and putt or a Frisbee golf by my house. It's, 
it's very fun to now have a level of physical literacy I didn't grow up with because it's it's cool that I can just go and do all sorts of random things. It makes saying yes to activities very easy being like, yeah, I have like no idea how to play hockey, but like, yeah, I'd, I'd give it a go um, just because I feel like I, I have a good enough foundation of physical literacy that like I wouldn't be the worst at it. <laughs> yeah. And um, I guess this is something else I'm, I'm, I'm always wondering about, but it's the whole, I guess, identity of being a learner or, or accepting failure and trying to learn from it instead of saying it's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my life has mostly been failure. <laughs> it's just like, I just fail over and over again all the time at everything I do. Uh, but it makes me better each time I fail. And I always learn something from those experiences. So I think having that mindset makes like the barriers to a lot of activities go down for me and and makes the enjoyment of those activities go up for me just because, uh, yeah, it's just that, I guess, like growth mindset of being like, yeah, I'm always going to learn from from what I do. And it's it's interesting, you know, being especially as a gymnastics coach, like I am not a gymnast myself. Um, so it's it's very interesting, like having these conversations with kids sometimes in class where I'm just like, yeah, I'm also not able like I can do cartwheels now, but I can't do cartwheels on the balance beam, which is something I teach kids to do. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting when those conversations come up with the kids, cause I'm also having these conversations in front of their parents, the one who are paying money t- for me to be around their kid. And they, I guess must have, sometimes they might have an assumption that I know how to do all the skills that I'm teaching their kids how to do. Uh, but I'm often very open and honest with both the kids and the parents being like, yeah, I have no idea how to do this, but I know how to teach your child to do it and I can help them learn how to teach themselves how to do these things in, 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 you know, certain circumstances. But yeah, being a, it's being a gymnast or a basketball player or a soccer player or a hockey player or a, a skier, like has surprisingly little to do with being an actual good coach of those activities, which is always fascinating to me to discover that. Um, obviously if you can be a really good, like if you're a great athlete in those sports and you have the coaching skill set, then you're obviously the best case scenario of a coach. Um, but given the choice of the two, like someone who's an expert at a sport very rarely is a great coach of that activity. Cause I just don't think they, they fully are able to like understand the athletes that aren't exactly like them which just makes the sport and their coaching slightly less accessible. That's, that's a really interesting way to put it. What, what do you think makes a great coach for people getting into sports? Uh, I have to hire these types of people. So I'm, I'm basically looking for your ability to engage with kids. Like if, if kids won't learn from someone they don't like and they won't like someone who they don't think likes them. So if you're able to engage with kids in a very positive way, they're now invested in learning from you. And that's like the most important thing. I can teach you how to teach gymnastics um, or rock climbing. But if you're, I don't know how to teach people how to like properly 
and positively engage with children if they're not interested in, in doing that. So it's just being able to like have that positive engagement is, is the most important skill. Um, just, just to be there for the kids to help them grow. And then, cause if, yeah, if you're a great like rock climber, but like if you're, if you're not a pleasant person to be around and you can't build relationships with other people, including your athletes that you're coaching, then you're, you're not, they're not going to get anything out of it. Like you and I had a great relationship, like, and I think that led to your success, uh, with our training together. But there's some kids that like, just don't resonate well with my personality and my type of coaching. And that's cool. But like, I'm able to like, at least build enough a relationship that I can like, you know, help them on their learning process or at least help guide them enough so that when they do find a coach that like resonates really well with them, then cool. It's like the best of all the worlds. Awesome. Um, <laughs> do, uh, what, what, what are you looking to do in the future? Is there anything you're, you're learning about or working towards? Uh, yeah, I, I think the main thing I, I want for myself is, so I'm definitely, I have the skill set to be like a technical expert as a coach, like I'm just, I'm just, uh, I think I'm a pretty good coach at this point. Like I am a great climbing coach. I'm a great gymnastics coach. Uh, I'm a great running coach. I'm a great personal training coach. Um, I'm really good at the technical side. And if I wanted to like, I think I have enough skills that if I wanted to go be a basketball coach, I could probably be a pretty great basketball coach just because I have enough foundational skills that learning the specifics of basketball would just be a minor inconvenience rather than an obstacle. But what I really want is to develop my leadership skills and become someone who's able to really effectively support and develop other coaches. Um, I want to give other people the experience that I never got. Um, I, it's, I haven't really gotten a lot of support as a coach from those previous roles. Uh, but now in my current role, I'm in a company that is able to provide a lot of that meaningful support. And I, I want to learn from the people around me to then be able to provide that experience, whether it's continuing on with this company or, you know, like wherever life ends up like blowing me in that direction of, um, it's, it's being able to support the people who support the kids um, is kind of what I'm currently practicing. And eventually I want to go one step above that. So being able to support the people who are supporting the people, supporting the kids. Like I, I know that's like kind of convoluted, but in my sense, it's just, there's the kids, which are the most important aspect of this all. But if the people supporting the kids aren't their best selves, then the kids aren't getting the best experience they could possibly get. So I really want to get good. So I'm currently getting good at supporting the coaches who are with the kids. And then eventually I want to teach people to do what I'm doing now. So being able to teach others to support coaches, it's, it's basically a higher level of leadership specific skills that I want to develop. And um, I don't think I want to do competitive gymnastics and I don't think I want to do competitive climbing or, or competitive running, but I, I definitely believe strongly in the recreational side of everything. So uh, that's the general direction I want to go in and, and kind of develop myself in. Very nice. Um, I, I always have this fascination with 
how people got to where they were. I think it's so interesting <laughs> how we develop from the little kids that need coaching to to where we are now. So I'm 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 wondering what what was young man like? What what was your temperament like? And <laughs> and uh, how have you changed through your endeavors? Yeah, he was a, a chaotic mess, um, like very difficult, like em emotionally regulating himself, just like just absolutely bonkers. Like I feel so bad for, I still have like brief memories of like camp counselors and like random interactions they had with me where I was just the worst. Like my mom uh, was a recreational uh, leader for the city of Toronto. And so she was like a coordinator managing different facilities in Toronto. So basically like she would coordinate the camps that I would sometimes participate in and I just remember being such an absolute disaster and like being so difficult to all of those lovely kids who are trying their best just to manage uh, me and the other group. And I, yeah, I like didn't know how to like properly express myself. I like was, I grew up in a world that told me like talking about your feelings and asking for help as a man was like very uh faux pas like you you bottle that stuff up inside you and you don't express it um i wasn't super physically literate uh i certainly had a certain level of physical literacy like my uh mom signed me up for a variety of different activities that i expressed interest in um from like skating to t-ball to soccer uh and eventually i like kind of found my way into running um and it's it, it was kind of, I think, around in, like, I had a mix of good and bad coaches, mostly in those younger ages when I did competitive soccer. I had some really bad experiences with coaches who not only bullied me themselves, but supported the other kids who bullied me on the team. And, like, that is a bit, that, like, that was super shaping towards my current views on, on being a coach and, and being, uh, in the world of sports is making sure that other kids don't have that experience, but also making sure that the coaches who just like in some of the cases, yeah, they're malicious in their intent, but in other cases, they just didn't know any better. And they were just trying their best to like be the authority figure and the leader uh, and just doing that in the, in an unproductive sort of way. Uh, eventually in high school, I met um, the, the running coach of the high school, Rob Greep, who is just such a positive figure in my life, like had a major impact in changing who I was, uh, by giving me an example of what, uh, a good male role model and a good coach, uh, and a good human being, what that should look like, um, giving me just so much like support and opportunity for personal development and growth, um, that had a big shaping effect. And even, uh, <laughs> since then I, when I, like I had some poor experiences with my coaches in college, like they basically had a cookie cutter formula and I just didn't fit the cookie cutter. So I just didn't have a lot of success. So I had a really rough time in college in sport. Uh, and then post-college when I pursued competitive running, um, I had a very interesting experience that I feel like I'll keep the, the story short, uh, but I was part of the Speed River 
track club in Guelph, Ontario. Um, and to anyone interested, you can look, go, just Google what had recently happened with that. But the, the, the people in the, the main coach who I had there, uh, was just like, a, a I had all sorts of experiences, like from really good to like really terrible experiences. And, um, especially realizing what, uh, that coach ended up being behind the scenes, uh, engaged in some very like malicious activities, uh, with, with, uh, young athletes just made me, all of these things have kind of like shaped me into the version of, the, of a coach and a leader that I am now is just not only having some examples of what I do want to aspire to be like this positive, uh, coach who is able to provide lots of opportunities and support, but also giving like the lessons of discipline and structure to me, um, as well as having many examples of who I don't want to be and being realizing that sport can have such a powerful impact, both positive and negative has kind of led me into the position I am in now, which is I for, I, I want my life to be about giving kids the opportunity for positive development through the activity of sport. Like I want them to have that opportunity. So that's my whole journey has, has somehow led me to that conclusion where now that's specifically what I want to do. Like, yeah, teaching in school is, is a much more challenging job. And I have the utmost respect for everyone who's willing to do that. But I think my personal niche is just realizing the power that sport has on each and every one of us and being able to give as many kids as positive of an experience as possible through that avenue. Damn. Uh, That's a, that's a, that's a really interesting answer. And it's, I I think that's not something that's stated a lot is just like the power of seeing what not to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because we all look up to people, but it's, it's hard to be like, oh, I saw that and that was wrong. So I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah. I've, I feel like I have more of those experiences than positive. Like I, I did have some really great coaches, like my, my high school running coach, um, who's, who's possibly one of the, the biggest positive impacts on my life, but I have so many examples of what not to do that it's, it's, it's very interesting, like going through and living, you know, a similar life experience to that they were doing, but making the opposite choices, being like, ooh, I think this past coach would have made this decision. So I'm going I'm to go the opposite way here and make the opposite decision, uh, which is probably going to be more productive. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, I'm, I'm almost at the end of my questions. We've been rolling for about an hour and a half, a bit over. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it goes pretty quick. Um, so I'm wondering what, what drove you to work so hard at running? Uh, yeah, it was, it's a very personal journey for me. Um, I feel like I often like take the easy route when people ask me this question and I just say like, oh yeah, I just want to like make the Olympics and be the best I can like athlete I can be and achieve the greatest trophies and heights. But uh, the truth is that is a hollow and false answer for me. Uh, running for me was an avenue to change who I was. Um, I think that 
I was a mix of like traits I was born with and traits that were instilled upon me by the the nurturing world around me led to a lot of very like undesirable characteristic traits. Like I was the type of person who like I complained. I always played the victim. I uh I was inherently selfish and lazy and uh afraid of failure or trying, making up excuses. Like all of these things were naturally just a part of who I ended up being. Uh, and running for me was a very, was my, is a very direct way to change all of those things. So when you're running at such a, a high level and competing, um, you know, against others, but mostly against yourself for a time, you're, you hit this point where, you work so hard for so long, like you do all this periodized training, you get all the way to the race, you get all the way to the end of the race and you're like, blood is on fire with lactic acid and you get to make a really cool choice. Like you'll realize in that moment when life is as hard as it could really be, like you're, it just is a struggle to exist because you're, you've exerted yourself so much both in the short and long term to get where you are in that moment and you get to learn who you are. So I learned initially that I was the type of person who like, I would give up. I would like make, make up an excuse. I would fake an injury. I would shy away. I wouldn't try very hard. Um, and I realized I didn't like those parts of myself and I wanted to be someone different. I wanted to be the person who like was brave and like challenged himself and was tough and worked hard uh, and believed in himself uh, in the moments when it was hardest to believe in yourself. And the cool part is like, cool, I ran those races and I had those failure moments and I realized who I was and I took a look and I was like, okay, I, I don't want to be this. I want to be someone different. So to me, working hard with running was about changing that. So the next time I got to that moment, I could make a different choice. And making that choice was really, really hard. Like when all you have every reason and every excuse and every, you could totally get away with like lying or cheating or giving up. I didn't want to do those things. I wanted to like persevere and, and, keep and like achieve something and I want to work hard. So I would, and it was such like a great euphoric moment. You're just like, Oh, I did it. Like, I know that I was, I usually give up, but I didn't today. I like persevered to the very end and th over time and enough of those experiences, it eventually becomes who you are, uh, which is what the place I got to by the end of my running career is I ended up changing a lot of these inherent traits about myself into what I wanted them to be. Uh, so I got to choose who I am today, uh, which is pretty cool. And so that was my real motivation for running was, is just becoming who I wanted to be rather than who I was like born and nurtured to be. Uh, yeah. Which is, I guess like a kind of intense answer, but it was it was a good time and I had a lot of fun going through that process and I'm very proud of of the end result of it uh, in both learning to change myself in some ways, but also learning to forgive and accept myself in other ways. Absolutely. Damn, that was a great answer. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, I have a very similar experience with climbing. Um, 
Uh, I don't know. I won't go too deep into it now, but when I was 15, I really didn't like myself. And climbing was the first thing that I just wanted to do because I wanted to do it. So it was it was a big change in my life. It was a, it was a great avenue to get to know myself. Yeah, I love that. Like that's that's literally everything I'm in this for is just like making sure that you and everyone like you and I get the opportunity uh, to just have that choice and have those experiences. And that's cool that you got to choose. You did something that you chose to do. Um, and I think at the end of it, I hope you don't hold yourself to like, like there may come a time where you're just like not into climbing. You want to go do other things with your life. Uh, and that's okay. Like it can just be a chapter in your life if it needs to be, or it can be just like a constant in your life. If it, if it provides that sort of stability. Yeah. Um, I mean, climbing has been the biggest constant in my life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like quitting running for me was so hard because like I, I had told myself that I was going to do this forever and then eventually I hit the point where I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do other things with my life. And that was so hard for me personally to like come to grips with. It took literal like months and years to like transition myself away into the other things because I just like had made promises to myself when I was like 16 years old. And I'm just, eventually I grew older and I'm just like, like, why should like, there, I've changed. Like, why should I be holding myself to some promise I made when I was 16? Like when I was 16, I didn't know what I knew now. So like, yeah, yeah, I'm allowed to, to change and make different choices. Absolutely. That's one of the beautiful things about being human. Um, I guess that, that was all the questions I had really. The, the last thing I love to ask people is, is what, what would you say to someone, um, who isn't active or, or isn't very active um, uh, to, to like, why do you think it's so valuable for people? Uh, it's, it can be, it can be an avenue for friendship. It can be an avenue for improved mental health. It can be an avenue for like play and happiness. It can be an avenue for personal growth. Uh, it can be an avenue to new career opportunities. Um, it can be an avenue for better health. Uh, there's just so many positive reasons why being active in, in any capacity, like whether you, you can choose anything. If you want to go rollerblading, cool. If you want to ride your unicycle around town, like rad, like it's whatever you choose. There's just so many ways to connect with so many different aspects of the, like of our, of our experience through life, uh, through being active. And it's like, it's okay to fail. Like if you're worried about people judging you or bullying you or like you even just like being hard on yourself through those experiences. Um, yeah, like that's, like those are real feelings and you're like allowed to have those, but acknowledge that like no one who actually cares about you in any sort of meaningful way will hold any of that against you. They'll just be nothing but supportive and you'll encounter so many more supportive people like in the, through these activities, than you will encounter people hating on you in those activities. So just, just fail over and over again. Just go try things like go sign up for an intro level course 
whether it's in climbing or soccer or swimming or skiing, just like go and do those things and like have a great time with it and just be like very honest with yourself and others. And that's always enough. Like you don't have to be anyone different. Just like go and be yourself, fail over and over again and have a grand time doing it because like whether you're competing at the highest level or the lowest level of any sport, especially rock climbing, none of it matters. By the end of the day, we're just a bunch of grown adults just like climbing up like plastic holds in a warehouse on Industrial Avenue, <laughs> like at different levels. Yeah, some of us are falling off six hexes, but others are falling off one hexes. So yeah, just like give yourself the chance to fail and and leave room for lots of forgiveness and uh, for a lot of inevitable joy and happiness and, and positive relationships with yourself and others and the world around you along the way. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is rad. This is so cool. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, before we, we finish off for today, I have some thank yous to say because a lot of people have helped me and I like to say thanks. So thank you, Matt. Thank you for coming. I, I'm, I'm so glad we could do this. Um, uh i i I think it's really cool um and and i appreciate you making the little bike ride out yeah it is my genuine pleasure thanks for having me amazing um i want to say thanks uh to to my friends who have helped me thank you to reiner who i have the setup for like he helped me do all the lights and tell me how things work so thank you reiner uh thank you to my friend eldritch who made my lovely uh cover art my my banner it's it's the only reason i have a logo at all just made them for me very cool so thank you um i want to say thank you to my friend sam mitchell for who i have um music got a, got a little intro song uh so that's really cool thanks sam and uh i want to say thank you to my friend noah as well who is giving me his premiere i think it ran out which is why i'm not going to post the video first <laughs> um but i'm going to talk to him about it we'll figure it out love you noah and um i, I want to say a very special thank you to my mom it's my only sponsor so let's get let's get a round of applause for my mom Love you, Mom. Thank you. All right. That's the episode. I'm going to turn things off. <laughs> oh, cool. That was awesome. Yeah. I hope that was good. I, uh, I'm sorry I wasn't more articulate with some of the sciencey stuff along the way.